So we're going to read a few verses from Luke 17, and then we're going to jump into um, what the Lord has impressed upon my heart for us this morning. So it says this in Luke chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck, dang, than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and then seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us this morning, and I thank you that you didn't just tell us to forgive people, but you showed us how to do it. Even as you hung on that cross and looked at your attackers and said to your Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, would you help us to forgive like that, that quickly, that our instinct, our, our automatic knee-jerk reaction when we are offended, when we are hurt, is to forgive, not to attack or even defend ourselves, but forgive so quickly even as you have done to us. We love you in this place and pray that you would speak to us mightily today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, a couple years ago, my wife uh, kind of got into this kind of homesteading kick, and she had this she had this desire to have chickens, and so she wanted she loved the idea of having natural and organic uh, eggs, fresh eggs every day, and also just chickens. She thinks they're really cute and fluffy, and really likes them. <laughs> and so uh, for Mother's Day a couple years ago, I did. I ended up buying her a little a little like hen, uh, a li not a little hen, like a little hen house that holds about four or five chickens. And then we got her a bunch of little chicks. Most of them made it, and we've got, I think, five, four or five left today. But along with the chickens came some friends that weren't necessarily invited. Because whenever you have chickens and you're feeding them on a regular basis, along with the chickens come mice and rats that love the food that you're dishing out to them like a feast every single day. And so we found ourselves in this battle trying to keep the rats at bay. <laughs> Not to make it sound like we were overrun, but there were signs of them around. And we would see them even in, like in broad daylight. Like when you're there and the sun is shining in the middle of July and they're scurrying along the fence. You're like, what is going on? Like these things are getting bold. And so they were so stubborn that and so intelligent, too, that when we put out traps, it, it, the traps didn't work. So the, the, either one of two things would happen. The, they would find a way to collapse the traps and then eat the food, or the traps would be set, and they would just scurry right around them because they, they know what was there, and they, they were smart to it, so they just avoided it. And so the next went to the next level, and we started putting out poison in select spots, in like hidden spots around the yard. And as I'm checking these week after week, the poison is just sitting there like rotting away because they knew there's something funny about that. They're not going to fall for it. And so we had to actually get to the point where we took this, the, the poison, ground it up into powder, and then mix it in with the chicken food, and then put that in select spots. And finally, we started seeing like hardened little mice 
bodies around the yard. <laughs> and that did it. But what, what intrigued me was the fact that like these are just like field mice, right? But they were smart to, to catch on to what we were, I was trying to do. They picked up on it, and they didn't fall for the bait. And as I was reading through the scriptures this morning, where Jesus' instruction to us about not stumbling and not being a stumbling block, it made me wonder, man, in some ways, it really makes me think, are, are field mice quicker to learn than even ourselves? And then I, then I stumbled upon an article that was in the Harvard Business Review just a few years ago. And this is what it said. There was a university out in Belgium that did a test. And this is what they found. They gave two cognitive learning ta tasks to lab rats and to university students. The same tests. And with both tasks, the, all the subjects were trained to distinguish between good and bad, right? And so they were to learn these good and bad patterns and then tested on their ability to apply what they were taught into new types of patterns. And so these two different tests, the first test was more based on rules, understanding rules of how something works and then applying that to a new task. And the second task was focused on what they called information integration. So you take the information that you've been giving it, and now you arrange it and apply it in a new way to a new context. And so it's based not so much on rules, but upon judgment, personal judgment. And so check this out. The rats performed at the same level as the students when it came to that first task of about applying rules into a new context. But on the second test, where it wasn't about rules, and policies, and the second test where it's about taking information and then applying that, rearranging that, and using your judgment now to apply it, the rats outperformed the university students. And this was so interesting because what it showed the researchers is that humans, or we, have a harder time learning how to integrate and rearrange information that we've been given when it's based upon personal judgment. And the reason they said for that is this, we seek rules even when there are none. And so when something's based upon our personal judgment, our personal opinion, all of a sudden we're like, oh, I, I don't know what to do now. Because we're wired with rules, we're wired to operate under laws. Okay, do, if, if you come upon this situation, do this. If you come upon this situation, do this. There's a set order and process, but when it comes to critical thinking, and processing on our own, we're slower to adapt, we're slower to learn. And yet, these field mice outperformed these university intellectual students. And I thought that was absolutely mind-boggling. And, and, and especially the truth where it showed us about we're, we're wired to look for rules even when there are none. You know, if we look back to the Old Testament, we look back to the Ten Commandments and all the rules and regulations that were given to the people of God from the beginning of time. It's like we're wired to, to move according to these rules. And all of a sudden, we're, throughout the course of time, we see that even when we have a set of rules and we know how to apply them, we can't do it perfectly. And so here now Jesus has to enter the scene and wipes away all of these things so that now... All of, all of the, the failures to, these, to following these rules can be gone and washed away, and his perfection now applied to us. 
And so now he has moved us away from a list of rules to a list of characteristics. So instead of obeying this rule, one, rule two, rule three, and making sure that we've got all our dots, all our I's dotted, and all of our T's crossed, instead of following rules, it's about following the character and the will of God. And this is why he said all the, all the laws are summed up in love God, love your neighbor. It's all summed up there. It's about following the will, the character of God. But here we are, even in the freedom, the newfound freedom that he has given us, because it's not about the rules anymore. He's given us freedom. And he tells us in the New Testament that it's for freedom's sake that he has given us and made us free. He wants us to operate in freedom. But in that freedom, it requires something different from us than was required from the beginning. And that's personal judgment. Use our judgment. What is the will of God? How would that apply to this situation? And it's so much easier, easier for us to lean on, what does the rule say? What's the right thing to do? What should I do? Can, can I do this? Can, can I get away with this? So we often fall into these traps because we we're kind of going backwards, back to, back to the rule abiding, back to the rule following. And so what happens is we end up falling into the same traps over and over again. We're not learning. We're, not, we're failing to pick up and, and perceive a trap when it's sitting right there in front of us because the enemy knows just the right bait to use to lure us back in all over again because we struggle to operate in, that, in this God-given freedom. Those first few verses that we read, it says that things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It's better for that person to be thrown into the, to the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause somebody to stumble. So he's basically saying it's better to get jumped and have your life ended than being a stumbling block and being something that the enemy uses to cause other people to stumble. This is, this is how serious that offense becomes. What he's basically saying is this, expect offenses to come your way. Expect hurts. Expect rejections. Expect, expect all an array of different types of things that are going to cause you to stumble, that are going to cause distraction in your life. Expect them. And then he says, watch yourselves in verse 3. Watch yourselves. Because there's two things we have to watch out for here. One, that we don't stumble ourselves so that we're aware of our, our weaknesses and our tendencies so when that bait has been set, we can pick up on it and leave it be. But there's also a second warning here. Not just watch for ourselves, but watch that we ourselves don't become the one through whom the enemy uses to bait our brothers and sisters. Because what he says here is that these stumbling blocks are going to come. It's bound to happen. And that they come through people. Not always through circumstances. They come through people. And the people through whom they come are oftentimes the people that are within reach. The people that are closest to us are the ones that have that access and that ability to kind of come and, and, and create that opportunity. So it's interesting because the word stumble here, if you go back to the Greek word, it's a Greek word that's pronounced scandalon, 
scandalon that actually literally translates offense, or it was originally the name for the part of a trap where the bait is attached. And so this is what Jesus is literally telling them. He said, it's translated stumble here, but he's saying, watch out that you don't become the bait causing someone else to fall into the trap. And watch out too that you don't see that bait and fall into the trap yourselves. And the, the truth is these, these baited traps all, are all around us. They're constantly surround us. And, and, and he said, he guarantees that they are, they are bound to come and woe to us when they come through us. It's interesting though because he puts the emphasis on, on the one who is causing the offense. Not so much woe to the one who falls into the trap because God is good and his grace is there and his conviction is there to lead us out, but woe to the one who causes the brother to stumble and causes someone else to fall into that. But the question is this, what is, what is the bait? And I brought a, a visual here because I want us to kind of get a picture. I brought a, a, some, some mouse traps here. And I want to get this visual because what he's saying is this, my will for you is that you care for one another, that you watch out for one another, because if you don't, and if you're falling short, what happens is this, you don't just hurt yourselves. Because when we fall into sin, when we are misled or led astray, it doesn't just hurt ourselves. When we are led into sin, it hurts the people around us. Because now, because of our action, we too can become a stumbling block or we can become the bait for someone else to bite. And now, that sin in our lives has become contagious. And it might not play out in my brother's life the same way it's played out in my life, but yet my sin has caused another brother to stumble according to his weakness. So he says this, the bait is bound to come for each and every one of us. It's going to be there, and he knows, the enemy knows exactly how to infiltrate where we're weak. He's not going to come and say, here, fall for this. Put it right in front of your eyes. He knows where he can catch us off guard. He knows where we're weak. He knows how to communicate with us in such a way to say, yeah, yeah, no, I think that, that makes sense. So how do these offenses come? What exactly is the bait? Offenses or injustices. Attacks come, they don't come right before our eyes. And so the Lord is calling us to live and operate and, and perceive things at a higher level of vision. We don't look at things so much from the ground level anymore. He's calling us higher He's calling us above the ground level warfare attacks to look and perceive the bigger picture of things. And when we do that, now we can see where the trap has been set. So that it keeps us from getting caught in that trap. Because this is exactly what it was. And this is why it says in the scripture that, that sin entangles us. When that trap goes, we are stuck in that thing until we recognize it and get to the point where we're willing to surrender all over again to the will of of the Lord. But that's just us stumbling. He says to us, don't be the one that causes others to stumble. Don't be the one that, that starts to put other relationships before God. And so what does this actually look like? Jesus showed us what this looks like in Matthew 16, verse 23. 
He just tells the, the disciples that he has to go and die on the cross. He's going to be killed and then risen again. But Peter now hears this, and he wasn't having it. It says there in Matthew 16 that he pulled Jesus aside and began to tell him, no, this is not you. You are going to be the king of kings, and so you will not die. And Jesus looked him in the eye in verse 23 and it says, he, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You are a scandal on. You are a bait for me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is the bait that the enemy uses to capture us and ensnare us. When we have in mind the things of men and human concerns, real, legitimate concerns that take priority over the concerns of God. And so this is what makes the traps and that bait such a tricky thing. We're so vulnerable to, vulnerable to it because the bait that is set are real life things injustices like you have you have literally been offended and so now you have an opportunity stand up for your rights or and and fall to the bait or say Jesus took the most offense and even still forgave me i'm not falling for it i'm going to forgive it could be it could come in the way of of, of offenses it could come in the way of of even financial things we all need a level of finances to keep things going and when that's not there, there's that temptation to trust. Uh, are we going to trust or not? Are we going to strive and kind of create other ways to make a flow come in? It's really about trusting and putting God's concerns and his perception and allowing him to reign in our lives beyond any other cares of this world. I was uh, praying with, with someone a few, few days ago, going through some financial hardships, and just uh, try, trying and straining to trust the Lord. And as I'm praying with this person, uh, the Lord prompted me, he reminded me about James, where he says, um, when you are, uh, how does he word it? He says in the book of James, this is not even in my notes, but I feel like the Lord's <coughs> leading me here. He says, those of you that are living in poverty, take pride in your high position. And those of you in wealth, take pride in your low position. See, the system of the world is upside down from the system, from God's system, from God's economy. And so when we're, when we're living in poverty and when, when there's a, a level of financial struggle there, it demands a level of trust. We are desperate to trust in God. It forces us to fix our gaze upon Him. And so the word of the Lord to this person I'm praying for is this. This is a season that you are going through, and so allow the Lord to do what he wants to do in your life in this season, because it will pass. It's not going to stay with you, but you're in this season for a reason, because the Lord wants to train you up and grow you and strengthen you. So don't miss the richness of this season. Don't miss the lessons that he's trying to show you in this season. Don't take the bait from the enemy saying, no, this is not good. You have to strain. You have to keep pressing, pressing, pressing. No. God is sovereign. And if we are struggling, then let the struggle be our teacher because the Holy Spirit is there present in that time. Don't take the bait that says you need to stress out. You need to start making decisions differently than you have before. No. If we're, if we're struggling, even in that financial place, that's where we need to release to the Lord all the more. It forces us. It puts us in a corner. 
We're going we're gonna to struggle and try to fight our way out, or we're going to release and say, God, you put me here. And when you want me to leave, you will open the door for new opportunities. This, this is how the bait is set. Legitimate uh, life concerns. But what he says to us is this, how we don't fall for the bait is by keeping the concerns of God high above and far beyond our human concerns and our natural way of thinking. And it's, tr it's tricky for this to happen because, <laughs> because that happens when we're least expecting it, right? I, think, I was thinking about um, how I, my, my own driving habits. Normally, when I'm, when I'm traveling places, I, I am very patient. I'm calm, just going from one place to another. I'm kind of mentally processing and thinking about what I'm doing in the day, what has to be done, what just happened. And that's kind of just uh, thinking time. But when things aren't going to plan, say I'm running behind and I know that my kids need to get picked up to, at, from school like 20 minutes ago and I'm rushing, all of a sudden the character that I normally have driving is out the window and I'm a completely different person. Flying down the road, running through red uh, pink lights and, <laughs> and, and maybe cutting people off to try to get around on the highway because my kids, they're going to be waiting out in the cold for me. Like, like this, is, this is legitimate. But all of a sudden, because I find myself in this situation where I'm being rushed and I'm thinking about these other things, I'm thinking about my kids, all of a sudden, the demeanor I know I ought to have and normally would have, that gets put to the side and these other concerns now take the helm in my mind. They take the helm in my heart, in my heart and it causes me to, to operate in a different way. And so the tough part is this. Our society likes to keep us in that mentality, likes to keep us rushing, likes to keep us moving in this way that we're always looking for instant gratification. We don't slowly move towards anything. If we want something, we have a goal, we move to it and we get it now. It always keeps us in this mentality of rush, 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 do, 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 now, now. You need this, you need this, telling us what, what we need. Because there's, there's always a deep desire in our spirit that we are missing something. We're lacking something. We have a need. And so the society tries to take that innate need in us, which really is directed for Jesus Christ, and say, this is what you need. Or I'll move our need. This, this is what you need. This is what's going to give you that fulfillment. And God's saying, no, my concerns, when you move your concerns and the things that you care about in alignment with what I care about, that's where you find true fulfillment. So he's saying, watch yourselves. Don't get swept up in the current of the things of this world. Watch yourselves and don't take the bait. Learn to recognize what's happening and reorient our, our um, priorities. The right question is not, is, not um, is this the right thing? The right question is not, can I get away with this? Should I do this? The right question that we should be asking is, will this glorify God? We're talking about not abiding, not rules, not following rules, but we follow character. What does the character of God applied to this situation look like? And then move in that direction. Jesus says in, um, in the verse 3 that this is the response we ought to have. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them even if they sin against you seven times in a day. And then seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. 
So this rebuke that he's talking about is really, it's, it's an act of warning, addressing that brother or sister and warning them in order to prevent danger or prevent a bad or worse situation from occurring in their lives or spilling over into lives of someone around them. And Jesus is calling, calling us to now address that, that, um, that wrong action, address the sin that has been caused to you. And this, then, is how we express our concern for the things of God rather than the things of man. Because let's be honest, it's not comfortable to confront and call somebody out. Even when it's done the way Jesus tells us to, in love but firmly, that's not comfortable and it's not easy. But he says this now is how we consider the things of the Lord. Because we're now we're caring for the brother who, who the bait has been set and we recognize that it's through this person. And so we address them and we say, I'm not taking the bait, but listen, I'm, a, I'm, I'm encouraging you, remove that thing. Acknowledge this and don't be a trap for others to fall into. And he's challenging us to, to this higher level of living. We're not falling for the bait and we're addressing the one through whom it's coming. See, this is, this is a, a very uh, tricky thing to apply in our culture because really it comes down to how do we define love and what does love really look like? Because Jesus says that love means confronting and rebuking a brother. This is where Christianity is really different from the world. The world says that love is tolerance. And so whatever any one person's personal preference is, however they decide to live their lives, let them be. Leave them alone. No matter if it hurts them, leave them alone. It's their preference because every individual rules their own life. Every individual is their own God. But Christianity says we acknowledge that there is one God and he is love and he is truth. And so in in following the character of God, we move in such a way to show and remind one another what is His right way, to guard one another, to guide one another. We love everyone. We love any way, no matter whatever way that we can and no matter what kind of lifestyle we find people living in. But that doesn't require approval of everything. So you don't, we don't need to approve of everything in someone's, of someone's behavior in order to love them right where they're at. Sometimes true love, real love, means calling them out and helping them. And in this way, when we see a trap that's set right in front of them, lovingly coming and removing that trap from their lives so that they now can move without being entangled and ensnared. This is how we care for one another. And this is what it talks about in Matthew 18, where it talks about if a brother sins against you, go and address them. Let them know. Don't just create space and say, I'm not going to let you do that again. I forgive you, but I'm moving away, so that they can continue to reciprocate that behavior again and again and again to others. Address the wrong. Address the sin. Address the trap. Don't leave it sitting there. When you're sitting in a room full of traps and people are walking all around, don't just let them be. Jesus is calling us to perceive where those traps and where, where the bait is and then go pick it up and remove it so that the, 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 our own brothers and sisters don't stumble into these things. He's calling us to live at a new level. Don't just avoid it yourself, 
but now become one that helps others to avoid it. In Matthew 5, it talks, he, he's talking about um, someone who comes to worship the Lord. He says, if you are going to the altar to, to worship the Lord and, and give your gift, but then you remember, not that you have a problem with somebody, but then you remember that someone has a problem with you, they somehow have maybe misinterpreted something that you have done, and they have a problem with you, they've been offended by you. He says, stop what you're doing, put the gift down, Stop worshiping there. Go and address that brother, brother and be reconciled to them. And then, once we have addressed it, come back and give your gift and worship at the altar. And this is the way that we remove traps. This is how we help our brothers to, to um, instead of stumbling, now conform to that character that God is calling us into. Now, it's interesting how the scriptures transition here, because as, we, as we're reading scripture, it's always important to not just pull one or two verses out of the Bible and then just kind of hone in on that and kind of put our own meaning and our own context on that. We have to piece things together because there's complete thoughts there. And the thought is not complete there in verse 4. Jesus is telling his disciples how to watch out for the traps and not fall for the bait that's, that's luring them in. And then he tells them to forgive when you've been offended. And so here's their response to him in verse 5. They said, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, what they're saying is, is this. Help us because we can't do this on our own. Give us more faith. But here's Jesus' response. Verse 6. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed... You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, there's a, that's, a, that's a good little tidbit. That's a good little lesson about faith, that when you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can cause miracles to happen. Minute faith causes life-changing miracles to happen. But the, when you take it out of context, it seems like a completely random statement. We have to consider the question, or what the disciples are asking. Increase our faith. And Jesus is saying, no, this is not a faith issue. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can do miracles. This is not about faith. This is about surrender. This is about obedience. He goes on to say this. He illustrates it like this. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Wouldn't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? And then after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. See, this, is, this passage here uh, can be a little tricky if we don't consider the context because we're living in a different cultural context, a different society from um, what he's describing here. But essentially, he's showing us a picture of, of an employer and an employee. And he's saying, listen, if you as an employee are, are serving your boss, your employer, and you get halfway through the day, are you going to say, okay, now, now give me my pay, my job is done? He said, no, no of course not. You finish the work that's been assigned to you, and you're not going to get some kind of huge high praise because you completed all of your tasks. The worker simply does what's expected to him, 
See, God has given each one of us specifically, individually, an array of different gifts and talents. He's designed each and every one of us. And it says in the Word that He formed us and knit us together in our mother's womb. And when He did, He selected specific characteristics, the personality, the gifts that He wanted you to have, and the way that they all form together creates that unique individual you. And you were given those things so that you can now live in this world and serve the body of Christ, serve the world, and give glory to God. But what we sometimes miss is that we do this for His glory, and it's our privilege to partake in that. This is not something that is mandatory for us, and we're, we're absolutely, it's demanded of us. We do this as an act of privilege. And so it's not, it's not God's, it's not, um, God's demand upon us. It's simply our, our natural reaction to what He has given to us is to worship Him by using what is given to us. And this is why it says, um, the worker, the worker should respond in this way. We are simply unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We've only used the gifts that God has given us and offered them back to Him. Given them back to Him. That's all we've done. Because all that we have that is good is forgiven us from the Lord anyway. And so shame on us for any part of those good things that we withhold and keep to ourselves. Because all that's been deposited in us has been put there to now give out and offer out. And this is why after we've done everything, we should say, We've only done our duty. He's pointing to a heart of humility. See, the first step, the, uh, the loss of humility is the first step towards taking the bait in any situation. The Lord has placed higher expectations upon us because He has given us His very Spirit. He's not going to deposit in us the very Spirit of God, His divine being, His presence in us, and expect us the same things that He expected before we had that Spirit. He's calling us to live at a higher level. See, the more that we get to know God, the more that we're familiar with His abilities, with who He is, our expectations for Him grow and increase because we see what He does, and now we expect more of it. But the same thing that happens the, the other way around. The, the, the deeper we grow in Him, the higher His expectations become upon us. He expects more of us. It's not a list of chores or rules any longer, but He has given and deposited His Spirit in us so that His character can flourish and come out of us. He's given us His Holy Spirit to guide us and to guard us and as His Holy Spirit operates in us, when we follow that Holy Spirit, He moves us to guide and to guard one another and so care for one another. Last week we talked about um, the power of God's name and how it really is all about the name of God being glorified. He's deposited us that uh, something supernatural within us. And so he's not going to expect natural things when he's given us a supernatural power. He has delegated power to us. And Jesus said, you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, he didn't give us his spirit and didn't give us his name to pray in so that we could let it sit there dormant, laying there, not accomplishing anything. He gave us his spirit, and he said, ask me anything in my name, 
so that we would do that, so that we can care for one another, so that we can not only be transformed by the power of His Spirit, but cause even greater transformation in this world. We live on mission. And in order to accomplish that mission, we have to keep our eye on God so that we don't fall to the bait that's all around us, but keep our, keep our eyes fixed upon the higher things of God. Not letting the human concerns, natural concerns that are legitimate, they cannot overrule the cares of God, the concern of God. He's sovereign, and He is going to complete everything that He wants to be done in your life. He is going to provide and see us all through. But as soon as we take our felt needs and put that higher than God, we've fallen for the bait. And that's the first step to stumbling. He says, no, I've got more for you. There's so much more. But you've got to listen. Rise up to the occasion. Heighten your expectations. Don't keep the bar here. There's more for you. I need you to live at this level. I didn't call you to just survive and just get through this life. I've called you to thrive in this world. And I've called you now to be an ambassador for me to help others to thrive, to now move and help remove those traps that have been set for your brothers and sisters. Care for one another in this way. It goes beyond ourselves to the family of God. And it's when His power that is dwelling in us that is, is, is enabling us to see things, we perceive things differently now, that we now don't get entangled, but now we can make the whole body of Christ stronger because we watch one another's backs. We're all, we all have our own susceptibilities, and so this is why we need one another to care for one another and help one another discern when there's a trap laying right in front of your brother and they're about to step. Don't watch it happen intervene in the situation. It's not rude. It's not minding someone else's business. It's caring for a brother. See, the world is going to tell you, just, just keep to yourself. Just let them be. But God says, what, are you going to watch them hurt themselves? Are you going to watch them cause self-harm? He says, step in. Intervene. Speak up. Let the power that I've given you be used. Employ that power and use it. I gave it to you not to just sit there but to complete the work. Let the work be completed. No, not just in you. The work must be completed through you. But it takes a willing heart, and it takes a humble heart. Because as soon as we step away from humility, now we have been ensnared all over again in our own trap and need to be freed. What I want to leave you is this, is our strength and our ability to move and think this way is in our humility. And the power of God gives us both humility and confidence. Humility because we know it's not our power. We know it's God working through us. But confidence because it's God working through us. Nothing of my own strength or my own abilities, so I can't lose it because I lost my abilities. It's Him working through me. So he's going to do what he wants to do. There's confidence in that. There's no pressure off me. The pressure is off you to perform because it's his power and his strength working through you. Your strength is in your humility before the Lord. As soon as we start to operate in the things of God with our own power, this is now where we're destined for trouble. This is where we begin to kind of make a mess. Or as soon as we start to give ourselves the credit for the power of God in us. 
that leads to pride. Because now we think that we are the one at the helm. Now we think that we are the one doing these great things. And that's the first step to stumbling. Our strength is in our humility. And God has called us in humility to care for one another. Remove the traps. Remove the bait from your brother or sister. Intervene in their lives. It's not being nosy. It's loving and it's caring and it's honoring God. Putting His concerns above our own. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't just keep to your business when you watched us fall. I thank you that when Adam and Eve took that fruit and bit into it, you didn't just kind of watch it happen and turn your back and go the other way and say, okay, let me start over again with a new creation. But instead, you had a whole plan laid out to come and intervene on our behalf. God, would you give us the strength and the grace to see as you see and to intervene to the glory of God. This is not an easy thing, Lord, because it's totally against the culture. It, it is literally uh, going against the current, 180 degrees from the way this world operates. And you said, move that way anyway. But I believe that when we begin to see things as you do, and we take that step to, 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 um, to take an affront to the culture of this world, that's where your power shines all the more and begins to change and impact uh, the culture and the community for your glory, Lord. I know that you've given us this, the, your Holy Spirit in us, which has given us the ability to do this. We have all that we need. We don't need anything more from you. We know that the, when the di disciples said, increase our faith so we can do it, we already have what we need. I see that, Lord. But God, would you just give us the boldness to apply what you have given to us into our everyday life. Help us to apply what you have taught. Not to, to, to cry out more. I need more of you to do this. We do need you to do it. But we already have you. You've already deposited your spirit in us. I already have the ability. Lord, give us the confidence, the boldness to step forward, trusting that your power is going to come through. Even in those moments where we don't feel very powerful, trusting that your sovereignty is going to be displayed through our lives. Lord, any way in our heart where we, we lack care and love for one another, Lord, would you, would you fill us up all over again with your love? The love that does what, what it did to you, Jesus, when you said that you looked upon the multitudes and you had compassion on them. Lord, would you love uh, bubble up within us so that when we look around us, it moves us to compassion and care for one another, especially to those in the family of God. We need your love to empower us, God, to see things as you see them and to move and intervene for your glory and for the good of one another. We see that you've given us not only your son, but we see that you've given to us one another. We see that you care for us so deeply and that you care for us so much that you want us to be together. You said, don't come and worship me unless you've been reconciled together. I, God, this is the deepest form of worship when we are reconciled one to another. When we help one another out of the trap that we've been caught in and care for one another on that deeper level.
Help us to operate there, Lord Jesus. We can't keep doing the old things, the old ways. You're calling us to heighten, higher heights. New expectations for the people of God. New expectations. And as we move out, trusting that you're going you're gonna to fulfill your word, I know that your name will be lifted up and you will be glorified. Would you guard our hearts, God, and help us to be humble in every way. Keep us, Father, from crediting our own selves or any, anyone but you for the good things that are, you are doing in our lives, for the good things that you're accomplishing in our families and in our homes. It's all from you. Keep us humble, Father, and continue to build us for your glory. Would you bless our family, Lord God, as we go through this week? Would you bless the, the rest of the family from the other churches gathering all over Aquinnick Island in the state, Jesus? Strengthen this body in the name of Jesus Christ. We cannot not longer stay stagnant or dormant. You are calling us to rise up, and we will rise up, and we will move, and we will follow you. We will care for one another. The first step to becoming more active in our communities is caring for one another. We love you in this place, Jesus. And your name will be lifted high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, family. If you want to stay and linger and um, pray, feel free to do so. Um, otherwise, have a wonderful week.